Morning, everyone. My name is Malcolm, and I have the pleasure of reading our scripture passage for today, which comes from Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 31. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone who living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, what is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you make the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is God's word. Well, if you just joined us uh, this morning, or if you've been here the last few weeks, we know we've been exploring this whole dynamic of change uh, in our lives and the people around us. And what I said to you was that I have realized in my own life, and I, and I pointed it out to you a couple weeks in a row, that thinking maybe this is in your life too, that most of the conflict that I get in in my life is because I want everyone else to be like me. And let's say that out loud because it sounds terrible. But that's kind of the, the arguments or the, the conflict, the frustration that I have with people in life, whether close to me or whether it's whoever's running the country or something, is to say, well, I wouldn't do things like that. Or someone does something, you think, well, why would you do that? You know, that's, that's strange. If I was, sometimes we even use that language. If I was you, I would so-and-so. And so we realize that that's kind of not a very uh, good thing to have. And so even if we're honest enough to admit, well, yeah, I kind of wish everyone would think like me and, and, and want to change other people, that I should. And, and so what, what is a popular view in our culture when it comes to how we treat each other is just sort of live and let live. You know, don't try to manipulate people, change people. Don't go into marriage thinking you're going to change the other person. Just let each other be who they are and you look after your own life. I'm not going to worry about you. I'm not going to get stressed about you because if I worry too much about you, I get frustrated, so I'm just going to leave you alone. And now that sounds like, um, I suppose, a, a peaceable way to live. But the problem is, what I said to you was, especially for those that are closest to us, if we don't want another person to change, if we don't care whether they change or not, it kind of means we don't really love them. Because if we really love the people close to us, we will care about their patterns of behavior that we think are destructive. And beyond just whether they annoy us or not, even if we could say, well, fine, I can deal with that, if we, want, if we truly love them, we want more for them. We don't want people to be ruled by addictions to whatever it is. We don't want people to operate out of brokenness or a hurt that makes them kind of always seem angry or always stressed and worried or always fearful of the future or always tight-fisted with what they have. We want more for them. So we're caught in this dilemma, if you will, of realizing it's not really helpful for us to try to change other people, and yet also coming to terms with the fact that if we love people around us, we actually want them to change. And so what do we do? Religion often finds itself caught in this mess, and you know, justifiably so, has been accused of wanting to control people, wanting people to change, and using uh, religion as power, whatever, whatever, whenever we saw politics and faith sort of come together, using those structures to manipulate people and control people and, and try to make them uh, be a, a certain way or try to change them. And so historically, we've looked back and that said, well, that, that doesn't really work. But the, the, the good news as we have been exploring what, what often is called the, the book of good news, the story of scripture, the story of God and his relationship with us, the story of his son, Jesus, that he sent to us, is to realize that God has actually given us a way forward in this whole dilemma that we are caught in. That in fact, we are meant to change as people. That change first and foremost happens to us as God comes into our lives and because he loves us, he doesn't need us to change for his sake, but he wants more for us. And so he begins to work on our lives and our hearts and our minds. And the more we get to know him, the more we realize, wow, he wants us to live as free people. He wants us to live as people who have received his grace and who are accepted exactly as we are and yet love too much to leave, to be left as we are. And that then change happens in the people around us 
in our families, in our neighborhoods, and in the community in which the people of God live, not by the church going around telling people what they should do and being sort of the moral police of the culture, but in fact, as the people of God, as we live an alternate way, an alternate lifestyle, as we embrace God's plans and God's design for our lives, it is as if fruit is kind of being born in our lives. The, the scripture uses this concept of fruitfulness over and over to describe like something that is alive, that is bearing fruit, that is a good thing. That other people who otherwise might be tempted to lean back, to be skeptical, to, to be, to be uh, disenchanted, to be completely um, uninterested or even um, angry against the church, the institution, other people who otherwise would be like that would see something in our lives as the community of faith that would make them want to lean in and say, can I have some of that? Or can you tell me more about that? That change happens when we let God begin to transform our lives in living this new normal. It is an alternate reality, a new reality that Jesus Christ ushered in that the church then the followers of Jesus, the little Christs, as we are called, that's what it means to be Christian. We take that into our lives and the people around us begin to see something just like they saw in Jesus that made people who would otherwise disenchanted, disenfranchised from religion lean in just like they did with Jesus and said, tell me more. And we've been exploring, well, what, is it, what are the marks of the new normal? What is the new normal life that we are meant to live as the community of Christ? And so the first week we talked about selfless community, this idea that we live as people humble with one another, and uh, humility is not about being shy or being self-deprecating, but actually it's not about thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. And th so therefore we are a community that is selfless. We are concerned less and less with ourselves and more and more concerned with each other, that that is one of the beautiful things that the world around us would look at and say, okay, maybe there's something about this Jesus thing, because I've never seen a community like that. Selfless community. The second one was bold witness. And we talked about what does it mean to actually be a witness? It doesn't mean to bang people over the head with the Bible. It doesn't mean to wag our moral fingers at them. It means to say we are witnesses of events that have taken place historically that have changed history forever. We are witnesses to the reality of Jesus Christ, not just as a historical person, but as a living person who is transforming my life. And I challenge each one of us to stay to say that each of us has a Jesus story to tell. It is a simple one. It is just about what we have encountered with Christ and that we are meant to actually boldly put that out there with people who maybe otherwise have walked away from a Jesus they never knew. Today we're talking about prayer, that the, the new normal, that one of the marks of the community of faith is dependent prayer. Now we know that prayer is sort of a part of, of religion or faith and that many people sort of would associate those things very uh, closely together. If you're a person of faith, you, you pray. If you pray, you're a person of faith. You obviously have to have some faith to close your eyes and pray to somebody that you can't see. So we associate with that. But I would, again, confess to you, and I think, it, and, and, this, and I'm not the only one in this, as I see being a part of this faith community and just hanging around with people in this city, and this city is a very religious uh, background, uh, city in its, in its background is that most of our praying is kind of normal praying. It's help me, bless me, protect me. It, it's that's the kind of the most of the prayers that we pray. We pray for health so that we can have a normal life. We pray for enough money to be able to get by, to get whatever we need, whether it's clothes. We don't want to be too rich. Nobody pray for that. You know, we can't pray for that, but we just, uh, we, we just want enough to, to get by. Uh, we want a, a good job or, or a job. Uh, uh, hopefully a, a positive or constructive work environment. We want 
healthy children if we're married or if we're not married, we want to get married, so we pray for those kinds of things and for normal things to work out in life. The funny thing is, some of what we pray for is actually in our power to do. So we're praying for a job, but we're applying for a job. And, you know, we're praying for health, so we're trying to eat better. We're praying for financial stability, so we go and make money. And most of us, and so there are people who pray for those things, and there are people who don't pray for those things, and they sort of all have the same thing. Yeah, what I would submit to you is that most of what you and I really want in life is not a normal life at all. We, we want something abnormal to happen to us. Because if we look at the things that are going on in our lives, we know, well, I need something more than normal here. If a marriage, if our marriage is breaking down, or if people's close to us, marriage is breaking down, we know we don't need something normal. We need something abnormal. We need something to break in that is going to change the trend of normal because everybody else around us seems to be in the same boat as we are. And so conflict and breakdown in marriage seems normal. And so sometimes we have come to believe, well, that's just the way it is. Or sometimes people will tell us that. And we even make jokes about marriage because of that. It's just so normal. But actually what we want is not normal. We want something abnormal. We want something to break in and change a trajectory and do a miracle where in the past we have seen non normal things that are killing us. We also know it's normal to sort of be, to have little addictions. And we just try to manage the ones. And there are some that are socially acceptable like sports and shopping, and there's some that are socially unacceptable, like drugs and gambling, and yet they're all part of behaviors that are compulsive, things we go to, to take the edge off, to feel a little bit better. Whatever it is that a person would do who, who feels they're craving a cigarette or craving a high would be the same things whether they're shopping or going to sports radio or eating or doing hard drugs. And so we've kind of come to accept, well, that's just sort of normal life. And yet we know, and it doesn't matter what, what is happening out there, you know if you've battled any addiction of any kind, and we all have and do, even in this present moment. We don't want normal to continue. We want something abnormal. We want something to break in. And yet everybody seems to have it, so we just think, well, this is how life is. We pray mostly for normal things, and yet you and I deep down want abnormal things to happen. We want break-ins that change a trajectory, that, that are countercultural, that are like things we've never seen before. Every so often we get glimpses of them, and we hear them in the stories of other people, and we think, yeah, but that's not for me. That's not normal. And you're right, it's not normal, and we want it. And yet so much of my prayer life, and I think your prayer life is, help me, bless me, protect me, normal things. It's interesting, when Jesus came into the world, one of the commentators that notes the trajectory of his life and how we know, in a sense, it was God's plan that, that Christ would die for us. But if you look at the human level and what actually got Jesus put on the cross, it was because he was so disturbing what was normal. He had come into a society that was very much like ours, where there were some people, religious background, very much like our city, many people, religious background, and yet had kind of walked away from the church. The Pharisees, the very hyper-religious people, were not the norm. Most people were not like that. These were the very few who were able to apparently keep the law, so to speak, and be very devout. And they tried to make everybody else do it, but most of the people were sort of culturally Jews, but they had adopted 
The lifestyle of the Greeks in the Greco-Roman context, the Greco-Roman world, which actually has shaped so much of our culture today, was so strong that most people had just sort of, eh, whatever, this is life. And Jesus comes into this world and he's disturbing the normal for these people who were religious culturally and yet had kind of drifted. And he was really disturbing the normal for the religious people who thought they had the corner on God. And that ultimately was what put him on the cross in terms of, in, in terms of the human story. God was working through all of that. But Jesus ultimately was, was accused of blasphemy and put up because he was turning all of the power structures over and he was talking about a new normal away with God that the average person was saying, I like that. The person who felt like they were a sinner who was kicked out of the church or who was away from religion was saying, I think I want a God like that. And all the religious people were scared. It's like, you can't pull all these people towards God. God wouldn't want anything to do with them. And Jesus is saying, no, this is a new way of living. And yet... When his disciples, as they were journeying with him, they were still stuck in this normal kind of praying. There's a few encounters, you know, when Jesus is there and he's teaching and there's like thousands of people coming because this new normal is happening. And at the end of the session, the end of the service, the disciples look around and say, okay, Jesus, let's wrap it up, give them the benediction, a few announcements, get them out of here because we're hungry. We've been here all day. And Jesus says to them, you feed them. And we can imagine them going, are you kidding? says there were 5,000 men there. You know, when we live in a much more equality, uh, equal society, they, you think, well, why don't they mention women? Well, Jesus changed that for us, so you can thank Christ for that too. But that then, they only mentioned the, the male numbers. So for 5,000, there would have been probably eight or nine. And Jesus says to them, you feed them. And they say, well, that would take a year and a half's wage. He says, okay, what do you have? They said, well, we have a lunch. Somebody brought lunch. Five loaves, two fish. And they kind of go, we have lunch. Jesus breaks it and gives it away. And as you know the story, and it's in all four Gospels, I think. People eat over, 8,000 people eat, and there was food left over. It blew their minds. And then a few pages later, they're in the boat with Jesus, going somewhere. He's sleeping. A storm comes. They were all fishermen. They understood. And in, in that culture, the sea was evil, right? Because that's in people who were fishing, whatever, you're always dying at sea because of storms. And so they felt like, and even in a, in a hyper-spiritual culture, that's where they felt all the evil spirits went. So the sea was a bad place. So storms were not just physically bad things. They were spiritually bad things. And the storm's coming up. These fishermen know this is a death storm. And Jesus is sleeping in the boat, and it says they're freaking out. We're going to die. And, he's, and they're like shaking him and saying, don't you care about us? You're sleeping here and we're about to die. And he gets up and he speaks a word and the whole storm calms. And yet they're still, you know, they, they just seen him take five loaves and two fish and break it into 8,000 pieces. And yet a few minutes later, save, help us, bless us, protect us. We're going to die. Their prayer life really hadn't gone beyond that. They still didn't get who they were with. And yet what's so interesting, a little while later, the church is birthed. The beginning of the formal community of God gathered around Jesus Christ. This group of people brought together. And in Acts chapter three, and Acts is the biography of the church, the first church, Peter and John, so two of the guys who were with him in the boat, feeding 5,000, healed this man at the temple. He was a, he was a lame man. And, they, and it said he had been lame for, oh, he was nearly 40 years old. And they made him walk. 
and the people are blown away. And of course, the, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, the religious people, again, the new normal is disturbing everything, brings these guys in and says, what are you doing? And they said, what? It, that was the passage Malcolm read for us. If we're here to give an account for something good that we did, well, we'll just tell you that like, we did it in Jesus' name. And so these guys say, you can't do this anymore. You can't talk about uh, uh, Jesus anymore. You can't heal anymore. And they said, well, we're just gonna keep doing it. And so they threatened them some more because they had thrown them in prison or they dragged them in. A little while later, they threw them in prison, but they had the power to do that. They had the power to even to, to get them executed. That's how they had gotten Jesus executed. They had used their power. And so they knew that. So these guys go back to the church, okay? And the church is gonna pray. If... That happened to me, okay, if I got pulled in by the police or by the government and said, like, you cannot do church here anymore, you cannot be talking about Jesus in public, you cannot be inviting people who don't go to church to come to your church, you cannot be doing things in the community, you can't do this and stop talking about Jesus, and if you do, you're going to lose your job and eventually you might end up in prison. Now, I come back to you and we're going to have a prayer meeting together. I can tell you what the prayers would be for because this is what I'd be asking you to pray for. I'd be running the PowerPoint saying, here, here's what I want you to pray for me. <laughs> Help me, bless me, protect me. Don't let me die. And uh, change the hearts of, of this government so that they won't want to put pastors in prison. Which, by the way, this may sound like so, a totally contrived story for us. It is a daily reality for pastors all over the world. And it's not just you're going to lose your job, you're going to lose your life. But if we were to come, that's how we would pray. Help me, bless me, protect me. Now this group of people, because that's all they had prayed, right? With the feeding of the 5,000 and lying in the boat with Jesus, protect us. They pray something totally different. It's mind-blowing. And Malcolm read it for us. And these are the same people. In Acts uh, 4, look at what they say. And I, I pulled just a, a bunch of the passages for us. What did I put up there? Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth. You did all this stuff. You arranged it all. You're in control. You made sure Jesus actually got put to death so that he could be raised to life, and we're doing miracles in Jesus' name. And now look at the end of the prayer, okay? Do they pray for protection for Peter and John? Nowhere. Do they pray that God would change the hearts of the leaders so that they wouldn't want to persecute the church? No. They pray for the very thing that got them into trouble in the first place. God, stretch out your hand and perform more miracles, more power. Whatever got us, these guys nearly put in prison, do it again and do it more. These were the same people who were so afraid when they were with Jesus, they didn't understand how powerful he was. And then when he was being put on the cross, they all left. They didn't want to be seen, associated at all. Peter himself, Jesus, I don't know him. Jesus, I don't know him. Jesus, no, really, I don't know him. Never seen the guy. And now here he is saying to these same people who had killed Jesus, who these guys weren't courageous enough to even stand around, said, I'm sorry, we can't do anything but talk about Jesus. And they come back to the church, and the church says, yeah, God, do more, even though it might mean we're going to die. How did this happen? How did these people who were help me, bless me, protect me people so afraid, didn't even understand that Jesus there with, go to this point where they would be willing, and we know more than half of the apostles died, lost their lives for this because they would not stop talking about Jesus. How did that happen? That was a miraculous change. How did these people move from normal praying, help me, bless me, protect me, to something totally abnormal, totally faith-filled, and then it's that the Holy Spirit came and shook the room where they were in, miraculous praying. How did that happen? 
What had changed between then and now? Christ had died and he had risen from the dead. It says there in the passage we read in Acts 4, they were talking about the resurrection of the dead. Jesus had risen from the dead. Everything had changed. Why would they fear death anymore? Because death was not the final word. The resurrection of Jesus was not only something that miraculously happened to him, it miraculously changed the hearts of people who otherwise were new nor were normal prayers. Help me, bless me, protect me, just give me a normal life to God. Do crazy stuff through my life, even if it means I'm going to lose my life. It was the resurrection of Christ that had totally changed their hearts and minds. And, it, and with that change, yeah, who's, give it up, Peyton. Yes. Because that happened, you and I are here. Because that miracle happened in their hearts that they said, God, do more, and we don't care if we lose our lives over it. And then when the persecution started to happen, the church got scattered everywhere, went all over the place, and went with all these people who were running out of Jerusalem, went the gospel. And it went into every corner of the world. And so that you and I are here. It was a miracle of transformation because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want to I um, give us this prayer that they prayed, because this was not only a beautiful prayer that they prayed, it is a way of praying, it is a new normal way of praying that I believe as people of the resurrection, because look, I already confessed to you, I'm like, I'm like that who wants to, is inclined to pray, help me, bless me, protect me, just give me a normal life, that people of the resurrection, we start to pray differently. And I want to take you through this prayer in a four-line thing, it's on the back of your bulletin too. It goes like this. Some of you pulling out your glasses now, I know. God, you made everything. God, you made everything. That's where they start. Oh, sovereign Lord, creator God. Why did they start there? God, you are in control of everything. Your very breath breathed this entire universe into being. What do we have to be afraid of these people for? These people who have threatened our lives, you made everything. Not only that, you were in control of everything. In fact, they point to the story of Jesus and they said, yeah, all these people that we should be afraid of are the ones who put Jesus to death, but you had planned it beforehand. So even death is a part of your plan. And so what do we have to be afraid of? God, you made everything. You've done everything. You're in control of everything. Every prayer, friends, has to start. It often starts with us, right? God, my situation, what's going on with me? But no, these, these start with who God is because they were reminding themselves who they were praying to. How often we forget when we say, oh God, that we are saying this is the God who created the heavens and the earth. He is in control of everything. He is working out everything. His very breath breathed into being the earth that we stand on. How can we be afraid? Who is really in control? God, you made everything. The second part of their prayer. Jesus, you changed everything. They kept praying in the name of Jesus over and over. They kept performing miracles in the name of Jesus. Why? Because they knew 
Since Jesus had come, everything had changed. His death, his resurrection meant these people who were afraid when he was being killed three days later realized even death can't hold us. Even death is not the end because our Christ has reversed the curse of all history, right? The ultimate curse of sin was what? Death. And as soon as Jesus had conquered death and he wasn't revived, resuscitated, he was resurrected, now they realized everything has changed. Sin, death, sickness, pain, everything is gone, which is why everywhere they went, they proclaimed his name. Every time they went to heal, they proclaimed his name, and they were seeing the reverse of the curse happen all over the place. People were getting healed of lifelong sicknesses. People, people's lives were changing. Hearts were changing. Minds were changing. Addictions were breaking. They knew, Jesus, you've changed it. God, you're in control of everything, but Jesus, you changed everything. This is the prayer the new normal prayer. It doesn't start with me and my situation and everything that needs to change. God, you were in control. You, you made everything, but Jesus, you changed everything. We live in a new world now, new reality. As a Christian, Jesus has changed everything for you. There's nothing normal about your life. It was nothing normal about their lives because Jesus had changed everything. God, you made everything. Jesus, you changed everything, which just leads us to this kind of praying. What's the next one? We believe, that's right. And I said we here, because this is the church. This isn't me. Oh my gosh, my spelling. <laughs> we believe you can do anything. We believe. It is the, it is, it is the profession, the confession of the church the people of God. God, you made everything. Jesus, you changed everything. Therefore, we believe you can do anything. Jesus said to his disciples, you ask anything in my name, it will be done. Now, you look at the early church, and they prayed. Peter and John are in prison a little while. You read this book of Acts. Have you never read it before? It is incredible. They go into prison. The church is praying. In the middle of the night, the chains come off. The prison doors open, and these guys walk out and interrupt the prayer meeting that was for them. And the girl answered the door, was so scared. She said, Peter's at the door. They're like, no, he's not. He's in prison. We're praying for them. She's like, no, no, he's really at the door. And they're like, can you stop? Because we're praying for Peter. She's like, he is outside. <laughs> he wants in on the prayer meeting. They also prayed for James, brother of Jesus. He got his head cut off the next day. This wasn't the golden touch suddenly, that everything happened the way they want. But they believed that God could do anything because he had already and so they always prayed that way. They didn't know what God was going to do. At the time that God was setting it all up, that Jesus, his son, would be crucified, they thought the worst thing had happened on Good Friday. And then Easter Sunday, they go, oh, that's what you were doing, God. That's why they began. God, you made everything. You're in control of everything. Even death was your pathway to life. Jesus changed everything. So we believe you can do anything. And even when it looks like you're not doing anything, we know you are and we believe you can. This is the prayer of people who are so convinced in the control and the sovereignty of God, so convinced in the life-changing work, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, that they said, okay, in light of that, you can do anything. And we believe it together. Which leads them to their last prayer. So, a good Trinitarian prayer here. Holy Spirit, Move in power. 
God, stretch out your hand and do more of what you've already done. Your Holy Spirit now, it's the scripture says, and Paul says, we know the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is in you. And so you, you made everything, Jesus, you changed everything. We believe you can do anything. And so Holy Spirit, move in power. Do abnormal things in my life, in our lives. Friends, this is new normal praying. And you see what's happening in this whole shift as we move away from help me, bless me, protect me to prayers like this? Do you know what's happening now? It's not about me anymore. I don't have to worry about me. I don't have to pray that I'll be protected, that I'll have, and yes, I can, but that's not the biggest thing I can pray. That's not the best thing I can pray. That's not the, maybe, the, maybe God's plan in the middle of my sickness or someone who's dying, maybe the best part of his plan is not that they would remain alive. Maybe the best part of God's plan is, is not that he would heal the sickness, though we believe he can, but he is doing way more than what we think he's doing. It takes me out of my small little help me, bless me, protect me world into the grand purposes of God for his church. And you don't think that they were way more excited at the prospect of death in this life than they were before in their little help me, bless me, protect me, we're afraid this storm's gonna kill me prayer. And for many of them, it did cost their lives. But there's no comparison to say which, in which time of life were they truly living? Were they truly alive? This is the prayer that's meant to move us. When we understand this, when we understand that God has made everything, that Jesus has changed everything, that the power of the Holy Spirit in us can do anything, it rescues us pulls us over and over again out of normal help me, bless me, protect me prayers into a whole new realm of faith where we are praying for purposes well beyond ourselves because we are starting to realize God has this plan that is so magnificent that I'm trying to get my mind around so I can pray with what is going on. And I may see him do miraculous things in my life or I may see him delay, delay, delay an answer till I think, God, have you just totally forgotten what I'm praying about? But ultimately I know you are in control, God. Jesus changed everything. You can do anything. Holy Spirit, move in power. Even if you're not answering this little prayer here to protect me, you can answer this one and this one and this one. And I know some of us just need to start praying about other stuff than the things we've been praying about. God hasn't answered this thing, fine. I know you can, but I need you to do, I want you to do more miraculous things through my life. It is a lie to believe that if God is not answering one particular prayer that may be a big deal for you, that may seem like your whole world, that suddenly you are paralyzed in your prayer life and your Christian life and you cannot see the power of God anywhere else. That is a lie. God may not be working in power in one area of your life, but he is working in power. And so when we begin to pray, we start to see where he is working. So show me, God, Holy Spirit, move in power through my life. Do things, lift my eyes off my navel because I can't stare at myself anymore. And let me see you work in power. I want you to watch a story of the power of prayer, of these kinds of abnormal things that God is still doing these miracles in this day and in this time. So have a look. I want to ask our worship team to come up as we respond. And I show you that story because I believe that it is, a, it is not only a description of what God can do through prayer, 
but of what God wants to do in our lives. To see that as he has touched one life who reaches across a continent and touches another, who touches another, who touches another, that as we said last week, that what God has done, the miracle that he has done in your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, is not just for you. And that he wants to release prayer in us to do that. So we're going to respond in worship and then we're going to stand together and we're going to pray. And some of that is going to be congregational prayer and some of that is going to be kind of free form prayer. And I'm going to walk you through that. But I believe that this morning, and this is on Nancy's heart and my heart as we were putting this service together saying, there are prayers inside your heart that God wants to release. The things that you have stopped believing or things that you have never had enough boldness to say out loud, that you're going to say out loud this morning and say, God, I want you to do this. I want, you can move in power. You're in control of everything. Jesus, you changed everything so you can do anything. So Holy Spirit, move in power. We're gonna pray that this morning, but would you stand please and respond in worship and then we're gonna pray together. In a moment, Tony's gonna come with a couple of announcements for us before I close our service. I just wanna give you the benediction. I wanna pray that a door would have flung wide in your heart this morning. The scriptures say, you know, that the, to open wide the gates so that God may come in, the King of glory may come in. And so I just bless you with an open door in your heart where before it had been closed, where dark things have been hidden or you've been afraid or you've stopped and you've given up hope and faith that those doors would have been flung wide this morning. The doors of your house and your neighborhoods would be flung wide in your, in your, na- in your uh, workplaces, in relationships where there have been closed doors, that the doors would be flung wide this morning and that something would have broken open in your heart this morning, that the King of glory, Christ himself, the one who can do more than we can ask or imagine, would be entering in even now, and that you would see signs of his power in your life even this week. Did you receive that? Amen. Thanks so much for coming. Just have a seat for a moment. Oh, sorry. Wait, don't, don't shut me off too soon. This is, this is really important.